the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 385, premium, for Thursday, March 8th, 2012. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your questions, we try to answer your questions, you send in your tips, we have some tips of our own, and together... We all try to learn something. What? Five things new each time. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in oddly warm and also oddly windy Fairfield, Connecticut. Yes, spring. Spring is here. Life is Skittles and uh, life, life is beer. I think the loveliest time of the year is the spring. Don't you? Well, technically, we're still in winter, right? I know. I think spring's, uh, spring's a few weeks away, right? Yeah, oh. that's right. Did anybody catch the reference on the tune I was uh, I quoting there? I, I didn't. You did not? Okay. No. Because the rest of it is. But there's one thing that makes spring complete for me and it makes every Sunday a treat for me. All the world seems in tune on a spring afternoon when we're, sing it with me, poisoning pigeons in the park. Oh. All right. Every Sunday who, you'll see my who, sweetheart. Who did that? Me? Uh, Tom Lehrer. All right. Yeah. Why anyway. poison the pigeons? What did they, they ever do to you? Uh, when they see us coming out, the birdies all try and hide, but they still go for peanuts when coated with cyanide. It's really kind of morbid. It is. Yeah. Anyway, this is supposed not, to be a happy time. Spring is a happy time. That was the whole idea behind what, uh, Mr. Lira did. He thought it was crazy that people wanted to come and see him play. But anyway, this is the, uh, Mac geek cab, not the Tom Lira geek cab. Good thing. Yeah, it's a all good right. thing. All right. Let's, uh. Let's get into this and see what uh, see see what trouble we can dig up here. So we'll start with uh, Andrew has uh, has a tip for us. I think we've got two different Andrews. We do with two different tips. So we'll start with Andrew number one, uh, and he says, uh, "Hi, John and Dave, or Dave and John. I accidentally found this awesome feature of Twitter for Mac. Search for something in Twitter like Mac Geek Gab. Then go Command Shift." which is the uh, window menu, I believe, and uh, open a new window. And he says uh, it opens the, that search in a new window. You can open a new window for any feed, for your at replies, for another user, for another account, a search, a list, anything you can see, you can open a window for. So that's actually pretty cool. So thanks for, uh, thanks for sending that along. Good stuff, John. You don't use Twitter for Mac, do you? You use the the crazy named one, right? Yoru Fu 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 Yoru Y O R U F U K U R O U, which stands, which is Night Owl in Japanese. But it's still my favorite. Yeah. You know, actually, the 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 other one I like here so so little because I think most of our listeners here are. Into Twitter, many. Okay, even if yes. you're not, but one thing that I found, and I researched this the other day, but oddly enough, I don't use it on the iDevice, probably because I, I don't believe they make it. But what I use on my iDevice, and I'm trying to, uh, the reason I mentioned this, you'll see in a moment. But I use something called Usfura, which I think is Arabic for something. They actually have. They just came out with Usfura for the Mac. Yes, and I and but I think the cool part about this is this is one of, and, and I'm trying to remember the technology. Maybe you know what it is. But gonna, it'll sync your timelines. It's uses. It's called Tweet Marker. 
and tweet it's a, marker. It's a third party service, and and it's just a little API that the clients can go and and write to. The problem is there's only only two Twitter clients on the Mac that support it: Twitterific and Osphora. And frankly, I think they both stink on the Mac. So um, it's kind of a shame. Oh, okay. Because yeah, when, when someone was asking, does anybody support this? And that, it, that yeah, was, it was me exactly actually that too. was asking that on oh, Twitter. Okay. We had a big conversation about it. Because um, it is kind yeah. of a nice, because yeah, I mean, sometimes it's annoying when I start it up on my iDevice and, you know, I look at my timeline and it, you know, yeah. it's hundred, because I, I, you know, I, I don't log in as often. So it's, it's nice to catch up. Right. Oh, I think Syrinx for the Mac now supports it too. So that's another one to check out. So there you go. Twitter. Speaking of Twitter. Yeah. Sh- should we this early on talk about Twitter and then. No, and let's get through some like more that? tips. Right. I think okay. that's probably Sorry. Good. Build up no, some that's steam good. first. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, so Scott has an iOS tip. He says using an iDevice to submit forms, log into websites or perform other functions that require entering your email address can be a real pain. Solve it the way that I did. And you won't moan every time you have to type out your long email address. Go to settings, general keyboard, shortcuts, which is at the bottom of the keyboard screen, hit the plus sign uh, in the top right to get a page that allows you to enter a new keyboard shortcut. Now enter your full email address as the phrase. And for the shortcut, come up with something that's just a few characters and unique enough to make it so that you would want to use that only when you type your email address. Next time you need to enter your email address in a form, just type in whatever you, whatever your shortcut was instead of your full address and boom, the device's auto magic expands that into the full address. Uh, and then he goes on to say how he has set up several shortcuts that way. One for his home address uh, that uses just the first four numbers of his house as the shortcut and finds that he uses the email address shortcut. Most of all, you know, thank you so much for sending this in Scott. This is one of those things. I did this, the moment I installed iOS five on my iPhone and I use it constantly and I use it so often that it's one of those things I never think about telling other people about because it's just so ingrained in my workflow that I, it's not novel to me. And so it's, it's, uh, it, it's kind of those blinders that we were talking about before. Yeah. So yeah, it's look at t- this. I'm looking at it right now and it already has a shortcut in here already. O M W on my way. I'm going to put LOL in there because. For, as a shortcut for LOL. Uh, you can use those shortcuts if you if there's something that you have to type over and over again that it thinks is a misspelling of something else. You can put that in. I think we talked about this. You can you can put that in for both the phrase and for the shortcut. So you put the same text in and then it won't mess with you. So that's another handy one. And the but, third thing that I'll mention here, and go. I've heard of cases of this, just uh, not that I'm suggesting you do this, but just out of technical curiosity, I have heard of cases where people have left their eye devices unattended and, and unlocked. And um, yeah, you see where I'm going with this. Uh, yeah. You could probably replace a common word with something that's, that's oh, yeah. rude. And, and uh, if you're not paying attention to what you're sending, yeah. whether it be email or Twitter, I, I assume it's global that it works anywhere or, or what does this stuff work in? I mean, do, do these everything key, do, anywhere do you, you're so typing? Sure. Okay, yeah. So any application anywhere you're typing? Okay. Yeah. Oh gosh, I could just imagine. It's pretty. Pranks. It's pretty awesome. Oh, I use it all the time. I, it's it's great. But again, the pranks could be epic. The pranks could be epic. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Can I borrow your iPhone for a minute, John? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, and I noticed with iOS five one, which came out yesterday, and thus far I would say Got it's it. worth installing. Uh, when you do these shortcuts, they turn green. 
Uh, I noticed that last night. Let me let me try this here. Let me start typing something. So if I type my little shortcut, it it was on. Maybe it was just on my iPhone. I don't know. It it, it like turned a different color in a weird weird way. So I uh, I'm not sure what that is. Anyway, so probably the biggest feature because yeah, on the so I. Five one offers a bunch of incremental features. You know, some of them don't apply to me, like you know the Japanese Siri, I guess, which you know I don't have for S. But um, the one that where Apple listened to you and I, Dave, is you can now delete photos in PhotoStream. Yes, that yes. was probably the Very biggest handy. biggest thing. All, all the others, I think, were minor, and I think they made some changes to the camera app. I think that's the other oh, thing. I'll the, have to look the, at that and see what they did. Well, the camera on the lock screen is is the new thing, which is awesome. It's always there. You just sort of swipe the lock screen out of the way on your iPhone and there's the camera. See it, John? See it. Oh, look at that. Yeah, oh, you that's just, adorable. You just grab yeah, it. Yeah, you and just swipe. slide it. You swipe it up. Okay. Yep. Oh, I don't know if that's that big a deal. I mean, before you had to double tap the home button. But oh, okay. I like that. That's nice. uh, you had to unlock it first and then you could. Oh. Yeah. No, this is a way faster way of getting to the camera. It's great. It is good stuff. Oh, hold on. Oh, wait. So, well, no. Okay. No, you still, so you still don't have to enter your lock code. All Correct. Right. Yes. All right. So yes. no, this, uh, all right. So before you would hit the home button twice and it would appear and then you would hit that. So yeah, it was, it was three button presses potentially right. to get to the camera. Right. Now it's a lot quicker. But, yeah. Okay. But there's still the potential again for shenanigans because someone can take pictures without entering a lock code. Oh yes, absolutely. That's right. Yes. But they can't. Right. All right, uh, moving. Is there anything else on iOS 5.1 you want to talk about, John? No, I just installed it. Okay. That's my better judgment. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> All right, so uh, Tony writes, uh, I thought it would be interesting to start talking about guides for using Siri. And uh, thanks for starting that discussion here, Tony. He says, I found out while listening to your podcast and hearing about an app I wanted to try out, I just asked Siri, search for blank in blank app on the app store. What came up was a web search result pointing me directly to the app with a price button, which when tapped opened the store and allowed me to purchase the app all while Mac geek played on uninterrupted in the background. Very cool app overload will engage shortly. That's right. So, uh, so there you go. That's, that's how you do it. That's pretty good. Uh, so anybody else has any cool Siri tips? It, it's sort of this, this endless, pit of discovery is you kind of figure out ways to navigate Siri. And I never thought about saying, you know, search for, uh, you know, you say search for us for app on the app store and boom, let's see what happens. There you go. That's pretty good. Time to move on to our second Andrew for the show. Indeed. Andrew says, I'm not sure if this will accomplish exactly what the user who wants to control the sound volume independently, but uh, ProSoft Engineering makes a program called Sound Bunny. It allows you to control the volume and even mute the sound from any open application that is running at the same time as your preferred app. So, uh, you know, in the conversation from the last show there, we were talking about someone who wanted to control their application volume independently. And that can be really handy uh, if you've got, you know, song playing in iTunes and you want that cranked, but you want, you know, your... Uh, your, your audio from, from another app to be lower, uh, sound bunny does it and it's 10 bucks and you can download it from uh ProSoft site. We'll put a link in the, in the old show notes there. So you could, you could be running it today. 
That's good stuff. Cool stuff found. All right. Uh, Michael has a riff on on Plex, which we've talked about before. Plex is essentially the um, home media uh, thir- th- open. I think it's open source. If it's not open source, it's certainly it's a um, uh, third party media server for the um, that you can use on your Mac. So perfect for those Mac minis with HDMI ports hooked up to TVs that you don't want to use front row on. But uh, but he's got kind of another use for it. So here you go, Michael. Hi, guys. This is Michael in Boston with an interesting tale that ends in some cool stuff found. I have an old tired Mac mini stuck in Snow Leopard that I wanted to hook up to, to my second TV and use as a media Mac. I got it set up with the auto login, which kind of scares me, but I think it's okay. And um, and I found some software called Plex. Now, Plex is a sibling, if you will, of Boxy. So you know where it comes from. It shares the Boxy DNA. And it consists of two parts for the, on the Mac. There's the media server, and there's the um, client, which which is the full screen client and interacts as as when it's on your TV. Well, as it turns out, the TV in question is an analog TV, and it looks like crap, and that's not going to happen. So that part of this whole project is on hold until I actually have the funds to buy a second high def TV which I'm not sure when that's going to happen. But the Plex has the two parts, as I mentioned. The server, server is pretty cool. It, 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 it gets iTunes out of, the, out of the box right away. You, know, you don't have to think about it. It knows everything you have in iTunes. And then you can add whatever other content is on your Mac to it. But there's also an iOS app costs $5. It's a universal app. And it has two purposes. It, it works as a remote control for your your Mac client. And it also lets you access everything on the server remotely. And that's the cool stuff found for me because now I have the server set up. I have the uh, Plex software on, on my iPhone. I can access my entire iTunes library and any other content on, on that Mac from anywhere. And this morning, I, you know, just to confirm this, I grabbed an album and I started listening to some Coltrane in my car that, that wasn't on my iPhone before. It's, all, it's only on the uh, Mac. So that's pretty cool stuff, I, I think, and I found it. So I wanted to pass it on to you guys. Uh, you can cut me off here. All right, and we will. Thanks. That's a that's good stuff. That scared me. Did it? Did he scare you with that, John? <clears throat> yeah, it's very sudden. It was uh, yeah, suddenly he said it. Actually, he said here. All right. Uh, so that is pretty cool. Uh, we'll have to experiment more with Plex. I I've been toying with the idea of putting a Mac Mini in the living room. Also thinking about getting an Apple TV, and they did rev the Apple TV yesterday. Um, they basically the, the hardware rev is that it will now do 1080p, but even people with old Apple TVs can yeah. still get the new interface. Um, so you, you know, um, you, you have a, you have a plasma or LCD screen of, of, and yet, you know, this is very timely Dave, because today I'm actually, uh, so I'm a review machine this week. So actually I've been looking at a device so I was I was spending a lot of time with with my uh, TV today, 
um, trying out this thing that's basically a USB to a HDMI adapter on my uh, on my TV, and I was running into some weirdness. Actually, what I was running into was overscan, which is very annoying. Overscan is when the 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 edges of the picture get cut off, so you can't reach useful things like the dock and the menu bar. <laughs> All right. But anyways, I, I think you had a point or a question. I'm sorry, but I, I just thought I'd uh, <laughs> ask anybody. How do, I, I think I got some answers on how to deal with this, but it was just very frustrating because to me, it just uh, I'm like, wait, why is this happening? This, this shouldn't happen. It didn't happen on the HDMI port, but it happened with this third party adapter. Interesting. So. All right. So yeah, you, actually, you, Mac OS 10 actually has even on my older my mini machine, it actually has. a. So if I connect by HDMI, there's actually a slider in the display system preference that's called underscan. You can slide it and make the picture smaller, but this didn't appear when I had this third-party thing plugged in because I think their driver doesn't support it. Oh, so that's yeah. actually a neat. So that's actually a neat feature. So people that do run into this, so if you plug in your HDMI port on the mini, which the mini has an HDMI port, and the picture blows out the TV, and I think it's it's problems with TVs, not so much the. Though I think it may be both, but yeah, there's now a slider, and it goes back to at least um, Snow Leopard. Oh, and maybe before that, because apparently it's a common problem with the because I guess a lot of TVs do this overscan thing. Yep, yep, that's right. Cool. But again, you're you're. I, I was you're I was make actually, a point. I'm sorry. I was I was mid sentence asking you a question. That was that was interesting. And your uh, question was my my question. Where I, I was is, I was confirming that you have a a plasma or an LCD screen mm-hmm. that's a like forty two inches or larger or something like that, right? I so, have. Yes, it's a 40 inch and that actually okay. is, I believe the native resolution is 13 something by seven something. That sounds so about my right TV, for the 40 inches. Yeah. So my TV that I got. So the thing is, it is technically HD, but it's only 720. Right. And that it doesn't have yeah. enough pixels to be in 1080 because right. it only has 720 in the uh, so my, in the my, vertical direction. My question for you is certainly HD makes a huge difference when watching things like live sports and all of that stuff. But um, and, and I would hold that true with this even on a 65 inch screen. I don't really notice a difference between uh, standard DVDs and Blu-ray DVDs. Certainly you have 65 inches. Uh, we don't have a 65 inch screen here, oh. but, but I, I was watching one down in Florida last week and, uh, and it, even there, you know, the, we watched some Blu-rays and we watched, um, a, a regular DVD. Really? And they, yeah. They all look the same. And, and it, it really, I mean, if you really want to worry about like, you know, the, the tight quality and all that, it's certainly there, but because, and I, and I've, I've felt this way for a long time. It, again, live action stuff, sports and that type of thing. Huge difference. You know, ho- the game of hockey is unwatchable in standard def and totally works in high def. But movies are so um, they spend so much time producing them and, and, and kind of smoothing out all the colors and all that stuff. Oh, kind of like you, you I, movies are I like photoshopped. It. Do you really, though, or are you looking yes, for I it? Yes, I really do. Okay, and it makes. Well, no, it, I, bu- it I bought it, a Blu-ray player once. The, my benchmark was once they went below hundred bucks, and so I got a Sylvania, which is actually made by somebody else. Once I got that, no, I, I personally on the forty inch can tell the difference between the four eighty. I yeah, I get that you can four eighty and seven twenty four eighty p and seven twenty p. Of course, oh, I can, can have, I, I can absolutely tell the difference between a regular DVD and a Blu-ray. Right, I'm, I, anyone can. But my question is. Not can you tell the difference if you're looking for it, but when you're watching a movie, do you care? Yes. And I, okay, you're the you're the first person I've talked to that has said, "Yeah, I I care." Everybody else is like, "You know what? No, well, I don't I care." Like, okay. Well, I, I you're just on a smaller like better, screen than most. 
Well, I just like the better picture quality. Yeah, I'm just and, wondering and if not, halfway through the movie you even notice. I think I do. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying it's now, wrong. Blu-ray, I'm just saying Blu-ray that is fraught with other things. Like the, you know, and the thing is, I didn't get one that has Blu-ray live because to me, that's that's. Uh, I just like the better. Uh, I don't know if necessarily the sound quality is better. I think typically, uh, though, I think everything is all. Uh, yeah, the, either format you get Dolby, you get nice Dolby five point one oh, yeah, or greater. Um, but no, I notice it. No, if, if I have a choice, you know, if I go to the Red Box and, and I have to choose between them, I'll get the the Blu-ray one. It's fifty cents more, but and uh, my library is actually car- carrying more Blu-rays. You know, like going there to rent some older titles. But right, um, right. Yeah, but no, my understanding is on a larger screen, you can tell the difference because, yeah, I think uh, Katie was, was uh, you know, was going back and forth with Katie, uh, Katie From, Floyd of the Mac Power Users podcast. Right? Thank you. Yep. I just wanted to make sure we got that in there. And my, my sweetie. Well, That's right. Yes. <laughs> Hi, dear. Um, <laughs> but she was asking this question, but no, she has the same thing. I think we were talking about this and she has something again on the order of 40 inches uh lcd screen and yeah that size 720 and 1080 you you won't notice no no but i think but that people say once you get like like you said well once you get to larger than 40 inches then i think the, the 1080p is significant so yeah yeah again like like i said for video games and and live action sports and and the difference of course between standard def and hdf on or hd on tv is is huge because you're actually getting the 16 by 9 uh, versus four by three um, right. aspect ratio. But, but of course DVDs have been uh, the wider aspect ratio for a very long time doing the whole anamorphic thing. So, uh, so I really, I don't, I really don't care when I'm watching a movie, if it's in HD or not, I often can't tell well, let's see. unless I look, you know, unless I like, you know, mm-hmm. look for it. But anyway, uh, time to move on to Ron. Ron. Yes. Oh, all right. Good. Then I should pull up Ron's question, shouldn't I? Ron writes, he says, I have two quick issues, John and Dave. I recently, quite accidentally, told iOS on my iPad not to save a login for a site I frequently use. Is there a way to modify the autofill in iOS? I suppose I could wipe the autofill data and start over or use one password, but can you modify the autofill database? So I'll answer the first question, then we'll move on to a second one. Uh, so th- the answer is, uh, unless you've got a workaround, John, I, I think the only answer is to um, completely start over. I, I don't. I don't think there's any way to edit Safari's autofill. What do, settings? Do a restore? Yeah. You no, not do a restore. Well, yeah, do a do a factory reset uh, on it, but not restore your data from a backup because it's in your backup where you're going to have that data. Do you know of a Do you know of a way to even wipe it out? <sighs> Inside, I mean, you can wipe out everything. Oh. You can do clear all. Well, you can certainly wipe anything. So settings, Safari, autofill, yep. name and password, clear all. So there is a way to axe all of the data, at least Safari. But does that clear out the never remember? You get what I'm saying? I uh, I don't I know. Don't I don't want I, I, Yeah. I just went there and saw clear all. So, yeah. you know, that. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, actually, our next question, you know, we're kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The, the next question, uh, the answer I'm going to give uh, may suggest an answer for this one. All right. So let's jump to Joe and then we'll come back to Ron's second question. Oh, all right. We can do that. Joe. Uh, can we? Joe Rice. Yes, we can. 
I recently used my iPhone to send an email to my sister, but it bounced. It turns out that the first suggestion as I typed my sister's name was an old discontinued email address. How do I delete that address from the suggestions list? And again, this is on iOS. Now on the Mac, you can edit this list by going into mail, going into window and go to previous recipients. And that's where it stores all of these kind of recent recipients thing. But on iOS, I think it's the same crazy thing. At least that's what I thought until you told me you found a magic answer that there's no way to edit it. But you found an answer that disagrees with that. Yes, I did. Oh, and it made me so happy. And this so, answer you're thinking might help with the Safari thing, too. Maybe. I believe so. Okay, because, go. All right, so what I found is, so I found this on a site that I never heard of, but it looks kind of neat, called the Webernets. All right. Tech, web, and a little bit of dog stuff. And it has a picture of a dog with, with uh, I think, uh, iPhone in his mouth or something. Okay. So, neat site. But anyways, they have an article. So, giving a tip of the hat to them. Clear the list of recent email addresses on iPhone. Yeah. Sounds like pretty much what we're looking to do, right? Yeah. Well, and yeah. yeah I mean, he would like to edit it, but but if he can't edit it, clearing it is the next best option. Well, option. I think it'll let yeah. you edit it. So basically, they pointed to a utility that I had not yet heard of. Now, there are utilities that will, and I think the one that, that we've mentioned in the past is iExplorer, I think is what it's called now. So it's a utility that lets you look at some files mm. on your iPhone. This is another utility that does that. So, so in a nutshell, what you do is you get this utility. What's it called? called? I backup bot. Okay. Uh, and it's at www.icopybot.com. So that they have a number of, of utilities here, but this is one of them. And I actually ran this and, you know, so they go through the steps here, but basically what happens is you run this utility and eventually you will get a menu to you select your device. And then eventually in one of their menus, they have a menu, and I won't read all the text here, but basically they have a plugin menu, and one of the plugins, which uh -huh. I think it's a plugin that accesses what's in memory, either in Flash, and one of the plugins is recent email addresses. I think and I verified this on my die device, and when I clicked on that, I saw a list of email addresses, and when I had entered them last, then it looks like it gives you an option to clear them out on a case by case basis. So if you see an old one in there. You whack okay. it. Okay, but you, but this, and I'm not using it, so I'm, I'm actually looking for an answer, but the website says that this does not, the website doesn't indicate that this thing talks directly to your device. It edits your backups, and then you have to restore your backups onto your device once you edit okay. them. Okay, right, maybe that's the case. Yeah, okay. All right. But still. All right, so I saw it, but I saw it, yes, so, but it definitely, when I clicked on, yeah. Yeah, okay. so you'd make no, a backup, no, good, make good a backup of your device, edit it with backup bot, then restore it back onto your device, and and there you go. Right, so it's data that's contained within the backup. So yes, I guess yeah, it is in RAM. So I guess it's normally in RAM, but yeah, of course you know stuff in RAM. Right, right. So so I was very happy to find this, and it look, but it looks like a neat program because when I used it to to look at my phone, or not my phone, but the backup, and I think this is, uh, I know there are other programs, but looking at this, I mean, the the one thing that caught my eye is that I see all the voicemails that I have. And they have like a dot AMR, which is some proprietary, but no, all the entries here really intrigued me. You know, I see again, uh, my greeting is stored voicemails, all my voicemail audio files. I assume that's what these are. Uh, check out the utility. They have a trial. I, I think it limits uh, what you can do uh, unless you throw them some money, but it looks like, like something that can really let you get into the guts 
Um, and it looks like it does more than the other programs because I'm looking at all the files here and I don't recall the other programs I've used letting me see quite this level of detail. So, uh, that's cool. Now they warn you, they warn you though. I mean, you know, monkeying with the backup file and restoring it, you know, I mean, who knows? So, but, but it, it was the best lead that I found to solve this. So do a cool. backup first. Well, yeah. Well, you have to do a backup <laughs> first, but then make a backup of your backup. Make a backup of the backup. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, off the top of your head, do you remember where iTunes backups are stored or I, I iPod or iPhone backups are stored? Uh, is it library mobile device? That's it. That's right. Yes. Somewhere in there. I, I, I believe. Yeah. It's home. No, you're right. Um, Pete always remembered this, remembers this for me, but it's yeah. Home library mobile devices, I think is where, where lion puts them. Wait, let me see. Is it the home directory, home directory library? Uh, or maybe the top level library. No, wait. no, it's in the home directory. All right, so my home directory, library. I don't see it here. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it, there it is. Oh, oh you got it. Okay. No, I don't have it. I thought I did. Oh, uh, did I? I moved mine, didn't I? I did a crazy thing. I thought it was. Yeah, maybe it's just library. You might be right. Maybe it's just at the top. Well, at least on my line machine. So yeah. no, my home directory, library, mobile device. And then within there, devices. Yeah. Within there, it seems that there are three files and they're, yeah, proceeded with a huge, like, GUID, yeah. some, some monstrously long thing, and dot device info. I believe that's the, That I would be that, it. That's what that is. Yeah. Yeah. That would be it. All right. Fun. Good. Okay. So now uh, we can go and maybe that'll let you edit Safari data. Do you see that in there in your uh, backup bot list there, John? I did see that. that That's what I was thinking. I mean, am I still here? It is. Uh, I don't, is there a way to find? No. Okay. So all I know is that it lists all the files stored in the backup file. So one of the things that may be stored in the backup file, well, let me, let me see if I can. Yeah, search. I'm sure it is stored there. The question is, is it stored in that hidden system part that you can't even mess with in the backup is the question. All right. Well, I'll let you uh, check that out and we'll, we'll talk about Ron's. I'll read Ron's second question. Ron's second question is since the iBooks two update, I cannot put PDFs into iBooks. The save to option does not show iBooks and iBooks does not show in the apps tab in iTunes. I cannot find a way to do it. I Google it and the search turns up nothing, but I swear the capability is no longer present. Okay. Um, I think the short answer here is to delete and re-download iBooks. That is the kind of the process of, of the app being installed is when it registers itself uh, as a handler for various types. And PDF should work in, in iBooks. I, I can certainly confirm that here. Um, the other thing to remember, and I don't think this is impacting you because you said it's uh, it's also not showing up inside iTunes in the apps tab, and it should be. Uh but it is worth noting, especially with PDFs, because there are so many apps that uh, can read PDFs. If you have more than, I believe the number is 10 of those on your computer, the open with menu will not show everything. It will only show 10. And it's sort of a, um, it's a list you cannot order. So 
that can be a very frustrating thing if you're trying to get a PDF into an app that does not show up in that list. And and really the trick is you just need to delete an app that is in that list to to shorten it and then force the other apps up. So that's uh, that's just the way of life. Um, but uh, but yeah, for you since it's not showing up anywhere, I would I would delete iBooks and reinstall. But of course, make a backup first because if you've got some data in there, that will go away. Uh, as as is typical when you delete an app, it kills the whole sandbox, which includes your data. John, do you have a, an answer for us, or is it time to move no. on to Roland? Time to move on. All right, Roland. Right. So you, you know, you, you want to, uh, you want to take this one, John? Uh, where is it? Ah, okay. Here we go. I got it in front of me. Good. All right. Um, huh. Hey gang. We're, we're a gang. That's cool. All right. A few shows ago, Dave mentioned the folks at Tapbot and their product PaySpot for iOS and Mac as a solution for sharing URLs from iPhone to Mac. I went ahead and made the purchase. You guys are an expensive habit. <laughs> I know that the reading list in Safari can achieve the same goal, but Dave was right. The PaySpot interface is elegant. So here's the issue. Since installing the PaySpot client on my Mac, every time I restart my Mac or log back into my account, I am prompted with the security warning stating that PaySpot is an application downloaded from the internet and could be harmful, blah, blah, blah. I remember this being a discussion you guys had in the past. What was the solution to get my Mac to remember that I trust this application so that I don't have the warning happen so often? And... Yeah, I didn't recall uh, recall that we. Uh, well, no, I, th- I think we we addressed this at one point, but I. Did, yeah, I don't, uh, uh, I don't think we went deep into it. So go ahead. Yeah. So so what's happening here when you get this message saying, uh, well, whatever it's saying, uh, this is the OS ten. I believe they call it the quarantine mechanism. Okay. Which, uh, so I guess in general, when OS ten sees a brand new app, it's like, well, I'm going to warn you the first time you try to launch it here because you never know, and it it'll tell you this. I think the server you downloaded it from, the you know the time and date, just so you could double check and make sure that you actually you were the one that downloaded. I guess that you know it's probably more relevant if you're on a shared machine. Um, but sometimes the mechanism gets screwed up, and how do you fix? And, and so I found two articles. We'll link to them both, of course. Uh, and there are two articles here, but. The way that you disable this. So sometimes I think what happens is the file in question gets stuck or or something gets stuck somewhere. So there are basically two ways to do this. So one, there's a global way to do this. I don't know if I necessarily recommend this, but I found this. So this is a uh, article I found at OS 10 daily. And basically you do, and these are very similar, but if you want to disable this, uh, what you say is, and it's a single line here, but you want to say defaults space write space com dot apple dot launch services space ls quarantine space dash bool. What does that mean? Well, bool is a boolean, which could have one of two values, and then a space and either no or yes. So to me, that that will enable or disable this service on a global basis now you may not want that but maybe you do it, maybe right. you, you trust every place you download your things from and you don't want this warning so to me it sounds like this would take care of that but then you can also and it's a slightly different oh actually this is totally different cool all right all right so that sets i think a, a p list uh key or something like that but then there's another one here that i found and this is from a uh, superuser.com all these wacky websites all right um and they state that if you want to get rid of a quarantine alert, now this is on a per app basis, and this uses the XATTR command. 
which uh, for those listening at home, well, you can do a man page on that, and I'm sure it'll give you a big description of all the wonderful things it does, but it basically changes the file attributes. Okay. So XATTR space dash D space com dot Apple dot quarantine space, and then a path to the application should remove the warning from said application. All right, cool. So those are my answers and I'm sticking to it. So, so I think his app, that specific app. Yeah. For whatever reason, it's not getting set and it keeps happening. So I think if you force it with this, then, um, then it'll stop. All right. I hope. Yeah. That sounds good to me. I mean, have you run into that? I mean, I've, I, I've seen it certainly come up as it should once when I first download something new. And I think, well, you know, I'm trying to remember. I think the other way to reset it, I think, is it the launch? I think it's the launch services database. I believe okay. if you reset that through something like Onyx, I think that'll reset the alerts for all your apps. And then all your apps are going to come up and say, you know, they're going to ask this question again, which uh, that may be another solution. Now that I think about it, I, I think we've we've addressed this in the past. Yep. Is it? I think it is launch services. Uh, yeah, I think is the database that, that you're you're impacting when you when you fiddle with this stuff. I believe that I believe that's right. Yes. Great. Awesome. All right. Next. Um, as we often do, and as many of you know, uh, we do try to answer all the email that comes in, and sometimes that gets into an elongated uh, discussion about you know some issue that you're having. You with. elongated? Yeah, that's protracted. Right. Whatever. Extended. Extended. There you go. Okay. That's even better. Um, but uh, it, it, so. We were having a discussion with Peter uh, about his uh, routing and all of this stuff. And and part of his problem that came up was that he wasn't getting a lot of speed. So I have a little tip from Peter to share. Now, he lives in uh, he says, I live in a semi rural location in Wales and my broadband speeds are not that great because I am on ADSL and that is all that is available. I recently contacted my ISP, which is one called Andrews and Arnold, as I had been trying to figure out the previous issue uh, and with the, that we mentioned. And I stumbled across an article about bonding lines. I phoned them and asked what could be done and what the relative speed increase would be if I bonded my lines and it doubled. So what he's talking about is he has gotten two uh, DSL lines. And is doing essentially, I would guess, something akin to load balancing across them. But he's got them, got these at his home. And it's certainly something for any of you with DSL uh, to look into if you're in a rural area. Because your DSL connection is going to be maxed out per connection. But if you had two DSL modems in your house and you could somehow bond them together so that your uh, computer could, or your, your network could actually get bandwidth across both of them. And that's a really, it's a, it's a. Um, it's not a trivial thing to do, but if they've got a router that will automatically do it, then it is trivial uh, because it's, you know, you've essentially got two different IP addresses for the public and you're, and you're saying, send me data at both of them and I'll aggregate it when I get it in here. But, uh, but he said he doubled his speeds and uh, he, he said I could add an additional line and even go three to four times the speed. Uh, you know, he says, uh, now I can use my Apple TV without it pausing halfway through to buffer more content. So uh, very interesting. He said, uh, there are a couple of caveats that I've learned through this process. Firstly, your ISP must be capable of load balancing the data between the two lines, as we discussed. Secondly, your router must be capable of combining the signals at your house. Uh, 
And he says this router that he has, which is called a fire brick also handles IPv6 as does his ISP. And uh, he says it's not cheap. He said ongoing costs are about uh, 10 pounds a month for the line rental of the additional line. But he thought it was pretty reasonable. So there you go. Anybody with DSL. I don't know if U.S. carriers can do this. Uh, Certainly they technically could, but I don't know if any of them are. So uh, but for those of you with DSL in those kind of semi-rural areas, that's a that's an awesome little thing. I never I never really thought I've well, I've thought about it at home before, but I never realized that it was doable. In a, in a home scenario. So fun stuff. All right, let's, uh, let's jump to Larry here. Larry has a very good question that I think will help a lot of folks out there trying to sort out what's going on with iTunes and iCloud and iTunes match and this whole thing. Okay. Larry writes, uh, I wrote a while back about moving my iTunes libraries around. Uh, 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 to one combined library on an airport connected drive and then uploading that to iCloud. I scrapped that project when I kept running into problems on the network drive, not mounting, therefore creating an iTunes library file that was on the local machine on every time I ran iTunes, a subject for another question. Uh, oh, anyway, he says, well, uh, the current dilemma has to do with converting to iCloud, uh, the iTunes portion in the safest and mo- most effective manner, given that I have three Macs, an iPhone, an iPad and an iPod touch. Do I get an iCloud account? That's the free five gig storage per user. That would be one me per Apple branded device. That would be six, giving me 30 gigs of storage spread over six devices at five gigs each. Do I get it per iTunes account uh, per Apple ID or per short name that I have on my computer? Or am I just I confused? Do my iTunes purchases count against my allotted five gig or is that scraped off the top, giving me five gig of my own tunes to upload? Do podcasts which have automatically downloaded from the iTunes store count against my space? Okay. Uh, And then he asked some more uh, questions here. It's important to note that Apple has done two different things recently. Well, three, they have released iCloud. Uh, iCloud is sort of this all encompassing name for a lot of the things they're doing. A lot of it is this syncing like mobile me. Uh, with contacts and calendars. Um, there's a mail component to iCloud. There is a component called iTunes in the cloud. And then separate from that is iTunes match. So iTunes in the cloud uh, is what Larry is referring to here, but I think he's confused that with iTunes match iTunes in the cloud lets you take all of the music that you have purchased through the iTunes store and download that at your leisure and as you wish to each of your devices. So you don't have to download it to your Mac and then sync it out. You can just at any time download purchased music to any of your devices. That's iTunes in the cloud and you get that free. But that doesn't do anything about the music you already own or that you buy on CD and rip or get via Amazon or anything like that. Certainly you own that music and you're allowed to have it in all these places, but iTunes in the cloud does not do any of that uploading or, or any of that stuff. That's what iTunes match does. iTunes match lets you essentially take your entire music library, put it in the cloud. Uh, it either matches the songs that it already has that it knows about that you have, or if it doesn't find a match, it uploads and you have 25 gigs of space to upload that stuff. So 
So that's the difference between iTunes, the store and iTunes match and iTunes. The store is related to iTunes in the cloud. Does that make sense, John? Cause it's, it's a confusing thing. They're not being all that clear about this. No, they're not. They are, but only once you know what they're doing. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's clear if you know what it is. So not clear. Well, you use me. I, I haven't done the match thing. I don't yeah. Know I will. The match thing has been working okay for me. I, I like it. I think it's been good. So. Yeah. As is iCloud. I, I see they get better. Uh, yeah. They had a, what did they, did they say a hundred, uh, how many people are using it now? I forget. I thought they said at the event. They did say at the event. Uh, yeah, there was, there was a big event yesterday. It's like a hundred million or 10 million or a hundred million. No, it can't be a hundred million. That's crazy. Uh, let's see. Maybe no, maybe total. I don't know. Uh, you can do the Google food there, but yeah. I'm but no, unless I got better. They had some hiccups. Definitely when they migrated the mail, I would definitely be getting, uh, every, you know, every couple of weeks I would get a login error when I was logging to get my, uh, iCloud IMAP mail. That, yep. that 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 problem has gone away, so that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I'm trying to look. I don't know how many iCloud accounts they have. I can't find it. So, but it's yeah, a sure. lot. I'm yeah. sure it's a Mac observer. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Um, if but, you read that, so I don't know. I go through every now and then. <laughs> Very nice. It's coming next. Very nice. Uh, all right, so let's go to. Uh, let's stay on this kind of iCloud uh, iCloud thing here and let's go to yet more confusion about iTunes and iCloud and account names. Paul says, uh, hi, Dave and John or John and Dave. He doesn't want to uh, upset you, John or me. Uh, you can actually, it, uh, nothing upsets me with. I don't get upset. I get even. <laughs> okay. There you go. Perfect. Back to Paul. Paul says, I know you've covered this more than once in the past few months. So my apologies for the apparent repetition, but I have a rather specific question about migrating from mobile me to iCloud. And I wonder if you can help my wife and I currently have an iPhone each and a few Macs, And we use one iTunes account between us so we can share all our music apps, etc. I sync calendars, contacts, etc., across everything through my one mobile me account linked to his address, uh, his Mac.com address. And I just turn off calendars and email accounts uh, that my wife doesn't want to see on her iPhone. So he's syncing everything, both iPhones with one old me account. I've resisted going over to iCloud to date because my, my Mac mini is still running snow leopard until I can continue and will continue to do so uh, because I use it as a media center and front row is not available for lion. I know I can use Plex or something similar, but my wife and kids prefer the ease of front row. I believe I'm correct in thinking that my wife and I can continue to use the one iTunes account when it comes to migrating to iCloud. Uh, would we create separate iCloud IDs? And now I get to the nub of my question. As mentioned above, our iTunes account is associated with my dot, uh, my Mac.com email uh, that I got when I first signed up for mobile me back in 2006, because mobile me has evolved over time. I was also given a me.com email address somewhere along the line that I don't use when it comes to setting up my iCloud ID. My first choice would be to use my me.com address. If I were to opt for the iCloud address of me.com, however, is it linked to my Mac.com address? And if I were to use the me.com for my iCloud ID, would that stymie my plan of having a separate iCloud ID for my wife and I, uh, whatever hers might become. Okay. Wow. Crazy stuff. But I think there's a simple answer here. 
in a general sense, iTunes accounts and iCloud accounts are not related on Apple's backend. Certainly, they can be the same address, but there is no tying together of this in any way on your Mac or on your device. Your iTunes account is set in one place and your iCloud account is set in another. And they can be the same account, but they don't have to be there. You're not forced into that, at least not yet. And I don't think you will be because Apple's got this problem with a lot of users having different IDs all over the place. So uh, you can use whatever you want for your iTunes account on both your iPhone and your wife's iPhone. So you can have all your apps purchased with your iTunes account. And then you can use your i whatever iCloud account you want. So you can have the same iTunes account and separate iCloud accounts for your email and calendars and all of that stuff. And that's actually what I I highly recommend. That's what you do. Any thoughts on that, John? No. No. Go. It's crazy. I want you to run with it. No, it's it it's crazy that uh that there's all this stuff and you can't merge accounts and I mean it's just nuts. But it is what it is. So. Well, I have an experiment. I mean, you, you're in a position, I think, because you have multiple family members and multiple accounts. So, right. no, I mean, I, I hand this to you because I honestly haven't done this. I have one one account. And <laughs> so, so you, know, and you use the same simple. You use the same account. Uh, you, it, it just so happens that you use the same account for iTunes that you use for iCloud that you use for your mm-hmm. Apple purchases and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That's great. If that's one ID, but, but no, I do understand the, the frustration and, uh, right. Yeah. As, as you, and it sounds like something Apple has eventually, uh, they have to deal with at some point because I think there are a lot of people running into this is for whatever reason. Yeah. They created one or more IDs for whatever reason. And now they're finding the, 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 yeah, trying to get either trying to consolidate their stuff or whatever, keep track of it. You know, the credit, all, all that stuff is, is starting to get, uh, a bit confusing. So oh, I'm wondering if they're, they're going to start offering ways to help view all your options, you know, and maybe consolidate things, uh, you know, both from a, you know, account standpoint, financial standpoint, and what's on what machine standpoint. Cause right now it sounds like, well, I, all I notice is that uh, a lot of the questions that we get are trying h- how to deal with this. And again, I hand them to you because I, I really honestly, uh, because yeah. you don't have I'm, to live I'm one with person it. and I, I'm yeah. one person and I have one account right. and and a few devices but you you certainly have dealt with it now that you got I mean I guess you got you know the kids you know they have their eye devices and they have uh, I don't know if they have their accounts or they use your no accounts we or, we so yeah so I'll, I'll explain this because sometimes explaining it helps solve my own problems but at least it throws it out there so the way we do it here is I have my own iCloud account that I use for my syncing uh, and and in fact everyone has their own either iCloud or mobile me account that they use for, for their syncing. And I actually have mm-hmm. both, okay. which is crazy, but, but anyway, yeah, that that's all fine and good. Everybody's, uh, I devices are linked to their account. So I have to, if I have to do a find my iPhone thing to find my son's iPod touch, I have to log into his account to do that, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's how that is. And that's great. Cause that, and everybody's got their own storage quotas for backups and, and all of that good stuff. So that's, that's iCloud. Uh, but for iTunes, we, we, we basically have two accounts. Lisa and I years ago had each started, you know, with our own accounts in, in, uh, in iTunes for buying music. And it wasn't really a big deal because you could bounce it back and forth and it just worked fine. 
And so we've stuck with those two accounts for our app purchases. Basically the way it works right now is any apps that I purchase, uh, I purchase on my account and everyone else in the family purchases apps on, uh, on Lisa's account, but we, we share apps back and forth constantly. So it is sort of this, this crazy thing of, Oh, you know, I need to enter this username and this password right now to download an update to an app that Lisa bought. And then I need to enter my username and password to download an update to an app that I bought. The phone manages it okay enough. Um, but it, you know, it, it's a little quirky, but it's not so bad. Uh, it would be better to have it all on one thing, but I don't know. Then I don't know, it'd be crazy. It would be nice actually for all of us to have our own individual accounts, but be able to say, Hey, look, these four accounts are part of a family group. Let us share whatever we want amongst them all. That would be the best way. But that, you know, that's a pipe dream is what it is. It's never mm-hmm. going to happen. They'll never do it right. All right. Never say never. Say never. Yeah. I don't know. You know, <laughs> the one thing Apple has done a lot of things right. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, certainly the Mac OS it, just from the start, the whole, the Apple two was fantastic. The iPhone is great. The iPad is great. They have never, ever done the cloud. Right. And so I'm worried about this kind of working, but, uh, but we'll see. It, iCloud is the best they've done yet in the cloud. So, so there is that. I'll give them that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, we have time for one or two more. So I'm trying to think. We had this great discussion about uh, about networks and frames and all of that stuff. But I, I don't want to. I don't want to start that. No. One. Oh, all right. Gosh. Let's do it. But we'll just do that one. I, I think we can. I think we can crystallize our thoughts here yeah. because we had a good discussion about this. So this yeah. is the question from Scott. Yeah, correct? you know, and I'll and you'll read the question, but um, but before you do, I'll say this is one of those times. I actually didn't record today's pre-show, but even if I had, and, and that was just a omission, I I just didn't hit the red button. Um, but I usually record the pre-show, but we obviously never release the pre-show because m- for the most part, it it's just we do it as a sound check to make sure we you know we get the right levels and all that stuff. Uh, but it's mostly just kind of aimless blather that would be completely uninteresting to, to most listeners, at least from my perspective. Well, well, some of them are, are knee slappers. I mean, we, we have some good times. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's fun. But I, I think we should do, uh, but we may want to do MGG uncut mm, at some point. Like I don't know the, about uh, that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We'd have to, we'd have to go through and, and, Edit very, very carefully if we were to do and get that. the lawyers. It would be it would be cut. It would just be less cut is what it would and be. Get a lot of legal advice. Yeah, um, <laughs> right. Exactly. It's pretty irreverent. And and certainly we talk about anything and it's not it's often not even uh, Mac related. But uh, this one was a great discussion where John and I kind of went through this whole thing uh, to really. To, I mean. To answer Scott's question, but. Uh, but really more than that, to, to, to get the answer for what all of you want. So anyway, it was one of those things that I wish I had recorded the pre-show because that would have almost been worth kind of cutting and pasting in so that you could hear sort of the well, process it was our, through. It was our problem solving. Yeah, exactly. It was the process. It, it we was through. what we try to enforce, you know, how to research the problem, how to think about it, things like that. I, I don't know if we can. L- let me just start here. I'm, I'm going to start with the yeah, question go. and then we're, and then we're going to. Uh, I don't think I'll read my reply. Well, no. Yeah, no. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, go. Hi, John and Dave. I wonder if you can help me with this. I have a net uh, net gear re- ready. ready. Na- oh, it's okay. a ready NAS. Net net gear ready NAS Ultra Six Plus, and it says I can enable jumbo frames to improve network performance. 
My NAS is connected to a one terabyte Apple time capsule, and I'm using a 2009 iMac, which I've seen. I can also set to use jumbo frames by changing the M by changing. Okay, we got some typos here. <laughs> by changing the M2 to 9000 on the network card. The problem is I have other devices and computers in the house which aren't capable of using jumbo frames. So my questions are uh, as follows. Is my time capsule capable of using jumbo frames? Uh, next question. Is there a parameter I have to change somewhere to make the time capsule start using or accepting jumbo frames? Uh, what happens if a device, say a different Mac, wants to use my NAS and it's not using jumbo frames? Will the time capsule cater for that? Let me see a few more. Do I need to read the rest here? Uh, no. It, it, All right. So so let's. So all right. So, but but I I think we get the gist here. So, so the gist of the question here, and uh, let let me frame it, and then I'll hand it to you, Dave. So, what are we talking about when we say jumbo frames? Now, the the key part here is frame, and what is a frame? A frame is also known as something called a MTU. That is maximum transmission unit. Now, in TCP/IP, which is the protocol pretty much the entire internet is built on. So it's used both on your network and on the, the internet as a whole. TCP IP is a protocol where one parameter and, and, and information is sent in these things known as packets. Now one parameter or one measure of a packet is something called an MTU, which is a maximum transmission unit. And normally the MTU for whatever reason for ethernet networks, which is pretty much, I think what everybody is using out there is 1,500 bytes. Now, the impact of this, though, is like, well, what what does that do? Why is that important? The reason it's important is because TCP IP, being a very nice protocol to send data here and there and and all about, is when it sends a piece of data with the size of an MTU, what will happen is the other end, in addition to doing a bunch of other things, will also check the data. And and the... uh, yeah. yeah I'll, 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 so, so what it'll do is it'll check. So there's something known as a checksum. So what happens is there's data in the packet, and then there's this magical formula that is used to calculate what's known as a checksum that just makes sure the data, it, it's just a check on the data. It's an arbitrary number, but it uses a known formula, and then the data is sent to the other side. And what happens is the person on the other side will get the data and recalculate this checksum. Yeah, to make now, sure problem- that what they got was what you sent. And right. Then, and then and there was what no happens, change. Yeah. So what happens is if they match, then everything's ducky. All right. So I got 1500 bytes. The checksums match. Everything's cool. And and the way the thing is, for the most part, what happens is if they don't match, because even though, I mean, you may think about it now, back in the modem days with line noise and all that stuff, I mean, you know, it getting bad all the packets uh, because it was using a medium that wasn't meant to send data to send data. Right. Now, you know, I mean, now you're talking Ethernet and cable and fiber and all that. But even then, you still get errors because it's a physical medium and weird things happen with temperature and, and all this stuff. So so it's good that TCPIP still includes a mechanism to check the data and do this calculation. And what happens is if the calculation says, oh, that's not what you said the calculation should be, then this is the part where, where it's important. And what happens is the receiver will say, oh, that data is bad because your checksum doesn't match, send it again. And this is the key point here, I think, in that the size of the MTU is important because on the one hand, if you make it too small, the bad news there is that then it's not efficient because you you keep calculating this value and it just, you're breaking the data up in too small a, a piece for you to be efficient. On the other hand, if you make the data, if you make the MTU too large, 
if there's a problem. So you got to balance the, the, the likelihood of an error occurring on the medium with the size of the packet. Like even you and I, Dave, I mean, we go way back. I mean, I remember X modem, which was a popular protocol on, on modems. I believe the packet size for that was, or, or, well, we can also call it the MTU was 128 bytes, 128 bytes. And then, and then we moved to Y modem, which was 1024 bytes. And, and you're right that, made sending things a lot faster because you weren't doing the turnaround as often to, 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 to sort of, to sort of boil this down. You want to have in a, in a perfect world, you want to have packets large enough to get a decent chunk of data across before you need to stop and process what you got. Now, obviously this stuff can happen and does happen in parallel, but, but there is some, some speed cost. And also there's some data cost because the beginning of each packet starts uh, and ends with a header and a footer. And if you can fit the more data you can fit between the header and the footer, the less you get impacted. If you have to send the header and the footer a hundred times, well, that's going to be slower than only sending the header and the footer. And that's a good point. 10 you, times you got overhead. You got overhead. So if you yeah. have a small, relatively small MTU, the thing is you're polluting that or, or decreasing your efficiency with all the overhead. Right. On the other hand, if you make it too large, then when it, if and when a problem occurs, the time to resend it is huge. Right. So you don't want to make it too big, but you don't want to make it too small. Right. So, there's so a happy balance. we've killed that horse. We, we, I think we've explained what, why you might want these packets bigger. So, so MTUs. So here's the basic. So there are basically two flavors. We're talking for the most part in, in the, the Mac world or just the, the Ethernet and cable modem world. Right. One is 1500, which is pretty much the standard for Ethernet networks. Yep. Okay. But now the question that was brought to us here is that there is another one, which is pretty much known as a jumbo packet which right. is pretty much typical or, or uh, an available option on gigabit Ethernet. Because it makes sense that you have a faster network. And how big is the jumbo MTU. packet, John? Tell them how big The jumbo is, is 9,000. So 1,500 six versus 9,000. Six times the size. Right. Now, the question that was present, presented to us here is, well... Well, you know, he, he presented off, a couple of questions. So the first thing is... Well, a bunch, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the first thing that you need to think about is... He, he said he wants he has his NAS drive connected to his time capsule uh, through the USB port of his time capsule. And his question is, I, he knows correctly that if you want to successfully and efficiently have two devices talk to each other, they need to have the same MTU set. So it, it, it by default, it's 15. But if you want to move to jumbo frames, uh, it's 9000. But everything needs to move to jumbo frames. Now, here's the interesting part. He says he has his um, his ultra his ready NAS uh, is capable of going to jumbo frames. He has that plugged in. He doesn't have it plugged into the USB port because that wouldn't make sense. He's got it plugged into the Ethernet port of his time capsule, just like his Macs are. So presuming that they're all plugged in to essentially what's going to turn into the same Ethernet switch, it doesn't matter. I, I believe that that we 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 did a lot of a lot of thinking and back and forth before the show. And the, the net is if they're all on the same subnet uh, or all on the same uh, LAN, it doesn't matter what the router's capabilities are. Uh, be, it, well, it well actually, in, the, in the case of the airport, I would actually say the it case does. Of- no, it totally would because you still need to talk to your router. It wouldn't his Mac could talk to his ready NAS just fine, but his Mac also needs to talk to right. his router regularly. 
So yeah, the router does need to be capable. And from what I understand, the time capsule is capable of supporting networks with jumbo frames. Uh, so if you're going to do this, you got to set all of your devices to jumbo frames, uh, not just your two max and your ready NAS. And as he said, he's got other devices that aren't capable of jumbo frames. So I wouldn't do it. Because what happens, and I've seen this, and you and I both ran tests here, Dave. Mm -hmm. and so some of the programs you can use, so one is an open source thing called iPerf, but then another one that I think you mentioned, Dave, is... JPerf? Yes. Oh, so, so JPerf, 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 JPerf I think, is, is built on iPerf, right? It's, this, but it's, it's just a Java front end to iPerf. It's, it's what you want to use. You want to use JPerf. Don't mess around with iPerf. It, it, oh. JPerf comes with iPerf baked into it, but oh, you don't have to use right. it at the command line. It's way, way better. Yeah, because yeah, I yeah. compile I compile iperf just for fun. But so iperf, what it is is it is uh, as the last four letters imply, it's a performance measuring tool. And basically, what it does is you put it on two machines. One is the client, one is the server. One sends data, one receives data, and it basically tells you, all right, here's the raw throughput of your network sending between these two machines. So our suggestion was. This is a tool that you want to use to see if this makes sense. Now the 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 point that you brought up dave is certainly valid here's the good news if everybody on the network has an mtu set to 9000 or jumbo then you will get optimum results and the we're and we're talking certainly in the tests that we've done moving to jumbo frames can make things a little bit faster but we're talking less than 5% is what I I'll found. agree with you. Yeah, now, I set my network just to bug you, but I, I did this. So, so my mini, my uh, all my machines are set. My Drobo and Drobo offers this option, and just like I the ready does. Yep, right. I set it to nine thousand. Um, yeah, you'll see maybe a couple of megabytes a second uh, throughput. Though you may want that. Hey, you may want to. The the only downside is that if you have a machine that has a MTU of nine thousand sending to a machine with an MTU of fifteen hundred. The receiver is going to say, whoa, 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 that's too big, man. Break it up. And that's the bad news. Right. And what happens on rare occasions, and you and I both seen this, Dave, some network drivers aren't equipped to handle this properly. And you may, and actually, I think you you, you had this happen. You you crashed a machine. Yeah, you, you really. It, you went from a 9,000 to a 1,500 machine. The 1,500 machine didn't know how to deal with, with the the bigger packets, so it, it decided to crash or, or just... Well, yeah. go on. But, no, but I no, think that's so what, what you saw, right? The, yeah, the issue could be, it, it could be anything, but, you know, it, it could be a lot of the kind of uh, lower cost network devices out there. Like, I mean, like your DVR or your, you know, your print server, or if you've got stuff like that, a lot of times those things just aren't robust enough to bump up to jumbo frames and, and for the most part don't need it because you're just addressing these devices with very short little kind of configuration commands and not necessarily sending tons of data across back and forth where the jumbo frames would matter. Um, if you want to move to jumbo frames, it's cool, but you've got to know that you're creating a scenario that could present a problem, especially if you've got these other devices on the network that, that don't support them and may or may not auto negotiate the, the lower frame rate, uh, frame size rather uh, with your max. You just got to know that. And, and you got to file that in the back of your mind so that when you have some weird network problem, you say, aha, wait a minute, this could be 
you know, a frame size issue and just go to all your machines and set them down to, to regular frame size and then troubleshoot from there. That's really the kind of the thing you need to bear in mind when you're, when you do this, because you'll forget, you know, it'll be two years down the road and you add some device to your network and you can't get it to work and you're tearing your hair out. Nobody on the internet has an answer. This is your answer. It's because you moved to jumbo frames and you forgot. You know what I mean? That that's the that's oh, sort sure. of the risk. But but to me, I mean, uh, I just got the pleasure of squeaking out that sure uh, that you know it's just like absolutely you know putting that you know slightly higher grade of gasoline in your car that can you know work yep. with it and you get that slightly better performance. So it was just squeaking out the maximum performance out of my network was yep. was the draw for me, and I haven't seen any negative. No, and uh, you and effects. that's the thing you probably won't. Now there is one thing. Well, no, with my devices, God, I know all the my de- all my wired devices support nine thousand. Right, so I'm cool. Right, so I'm the, good. The, but the if one- they didn't, then I wouldn't. No, because I, I think I I did one of the benchmarks I ran a while ago was with my. Um, uh, I still see it here, the big old boat anchor, <laughs> my Power Mac G5, huh. and that actually had a network chip and or kernel extension or network driver that did not support nine thousand. Right. And that was bad news. And and as soon as I saw that, I'm like, well, well, it doesn't make sense that that's my when it was my primary machine. I'm like, well, no, I can't I can't set nine thousand because the thing was on the MacBook, I could through the Ethernet port, but on the on the G5, I couldn't. So right. in that case, it didn't make sense because that machine, again, I think it was a combination of the network driver and the network chip in that machine just could not it, it couldn't do jumbo packets. It was sure. impossible. Sure. So I didn't. But but if all your machines can then go for it would be my advice. Yeah, and yeah, just, keep, and just, keep Dave's advice in mind is if you put a foreign device uh, at some point. And yeah, if you get, you get some, you know, um, like a Vonage modem or something, again, that might not matter because your, your Macs aren't talking to it. So it may not matter, but, but it's the kind of thing you want to keep in mind. There's one more thing before we wrap this up that, uh, yes. that we kind of went through in the pre-show and, and I'm, we're going to try and boil it down here. We're talking about using these jumbo frames, to communicate with all the devices inside your network. But of course, those aren't the only things that you're communicating with all day long. You're communicating with, you know, hundreds of servers out on the Internet. What does that mean? Well, for most of us, at least most of us right now, it's OK. You don't have to worry about it. And the reason is your router takes care of this for you. Your router is essentially has two completely separate Ethernet interfaces, one for the internal network that it connects all your machines together. And then one for the outside of the world, which connects to your cable modem or your DSL modem or right. whatever that is. And on the airport, it's the WAN port. You'll see it. Right. It's, it's specifically that's, right. that's the port you should plug into your cable modem or whatever. And yeah. And yeah. And that that that's the bridge there, your internal network and your external and please go on but i just want to no, clarify that that's that right you have and and some people may not know when you see this well it's like yeah well i got the, all these ethernet ports on my airport it's like yeah they're all same right well no they're not right, right. <laughs> no the wan port is the one that you want to and and it'll have usually it has like a, a little circle with dots and stuff like that but that's the port you want to connect to your your cable modem or dsl modem or whatever because that's talking to the outside world but go on yeah, no, that's right. So, uh, and your router, when you're doing things uh, like like you know, most of us do, we get one IP address from our cable company, and and then or our ISP in general, and then our router shares that, and so it's doing a protocol called NAT, uh, network address tr- translation, which converts, it kind of kind of does that magic and makes sure that all the 
data coming into the router goes back uh, out to the right computers and vice versa. And so it's already doing some manipulation of the traffic that's happening back and forth. And one of those pieces of manipulation is taking the packet size and, and actually chopping it down so that the 1500 that your cable company wants is what it gets. And so it fragments those packets and sends them out. And for the most part, it's going to do a fine job of that. But again, if you go to jumbo frames and then you suddenly find that you're having weird problems getting connected to people on the internet or more likely uh, downloading data happens really slowly. Like you suddenly notice that, you know, when you go to get some software update, it's coming in like pig slow. That's possibly your reason. It, It could be that your router isn't intelligent enough to do this translation the right way. And so there's a mismatch and then you're having these problems. So again, test it, bear it in mind. Most modern routers, Apple routers certainly support it. John is uh, living proof of that because otherwise he'd be having all kinds of problems and we probably wouldn't have this Skype chat going. So, well, I have all sorts of problems anyways, but I know, but that, you know, it's different. (laughs) Yeah, no. So really, so that, that's kind of the, that's kind of the trick there. And where will you find this? And I'm going to tell you where you're going to find this. So at least I'm looking right now at my snow leopard machine. Yep. If you go to network, click on the interface and you'll see the advanced button. If you go to the advanced button, you'll see a number of tabs. And at least on Ethernet, if you click on Ethernet, yep. you will then see configure. Well, in my case, I have it set up configure manually. Speed 1000 base T, otherwise known as gigabit Ethernet. Duplex, full duplex flow control, which is really what you want. And then MTU Jumbo 9000. Now, it's funny because... That has standard 1500 as another entry and then custom. Yep. And actually, and I'm looking here, custom uh, lists 72 to 9000. So at least the Mac mini, the network uh, driver or chip in this won't do more than 9000. Though there are networks that will do an MTU larger than that. Those are typically like, you know, long haul or or back end, you know, Mm. these fiber, crazy fiber networks and stuff like that. You can get an MTU that's massively huge but but we're not talking consumer stuff here right so that's where you want to look to set the mtu if and you are so inclined i will i will point out one thing uh while we're having the mtu discussion it's worth stating uh while 1500 is typically the standard out there um many dsl modems actually require it to be eight less than that they require it to be 1492 one four nine two. Or is that a Windows thing? No, no. It, it may know. be. It may also have been a Windows thing. Because I've I, seen that when I worked on Windows machines, the, the the advice was always, "Oh, you're on a you're on a Windows machine. Set it to fourteen ninety two instead of fifteen hundred. And I'm like, "Wait, yeah. but MTU is fifteen hundred. They're like, "Yeah, yeah." Trust me. Yeah. So so yeah, they, they they and and you can't manually set that on the time capsules. Uh, so if it doesn't auto negotiate it with your DSL provider, the time capsule or and any Apple router may be the wrong router to use uh, for that. You might need a more configurable, like a Linksys or a D link where you can actually go in and set the MTU. So that's the, uh, that's the MTU discussion. And I'm sure we'll hear from, uh, from some of our network and, and MTU experts there about the things that we either overlooked or, or got wrong. So we will share that in an upcoming show. But for no, now, I think we got it mostly right. Well, that's, that's what we think. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I do too, but, but no, I got uh, a friend. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll check with one of my buddies. Uh, actually, one of my, my friends, uh, uh, Byron, Good. he actually works for a large telecommunications provider. 
and has put together all these networks. So I'll, I'll ping him on this. But, but cool. we've talked about it before, and I think no, I think we're pretty much on the mark here. We'll see. Well, we'll see. Again, Scott. Hi, Scott. Or no, Scott. The, the Scott. I don't think Scott. Uh, well. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, all right. So if you want to contact us about MTU or, frankly, anything else, uh, premium at MacGeekGab is the email address to use. Dave, did you say premium at MacGeekGab.com? Oh, you bet your bottom dollar I did. That's premium <laughs> at MacGeekGab.com. You can what call else? us. And, and if I wanted to call us or call me or call you, 206 666 geek, which is 4335 is the number to call. 206-666-4335. You can also uh, visit us on uh, you can visit us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. Uh, plenty of good conversations happening over there. So that's good yeah, stuff. Yeah, but that's yeah. not the only place. There's this Twitter thing we talked about before. And if you want to reach me, twitter.com slash Sean to reach him. Dave Hamilton to reach Pilot Pete, who is piloting, which he really should be doing. Uh, Pilot Pete, uh, there is MacGeekGab, which uh, is news about the podcast. You can also submit a short 140 character or so questions. Uh, what else? Mac Observer, of course, uh, where you can get all your Mac news. And uh, well, what's another uh, Mac Twitter Observer one? Live is uh, a, oh, yeah, a direct, we did that. A direct that pull awesome. from the live feed. Yeah, yeah, that works out really well. I got to say, we, we have an engine for our live feeds that blows everybody else's out of the water. It, 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 and so much is that ours stays it didn't up. crumble. Yeah, exactly. But that's because we, we have tech though. people yeah. here that, that kick butt. Well, Adam, yeah. Adam and Adam and Steven really deserve uh, most of the credit for. Well, you know, I got to feel bad damage. for the people that were trying to do live tweeting, and and I think the problem was they relied on third parties who didn't expect the load. They and, they well, you see what happens. They didn't do their homework the right way. I, I I mean, let's call it what it is. If if you have a job to do, you don't blame somebody else if the job didn't get done. The job didn't I get do. done because you picked the I wrong. Do. You picked the wrong partner. Oh come on! I do all the time. It's fun. Yeah, but that's that's the problem with the world today. No. People don't take responsibility for their own <laughs> bad decisions. No, seriously, listen. You got to. You know. Hey. hey all, you, well, all I'll say is, if you try it once with somebody. All right. So say you go to a, a web hosting site and get rid of. We don't. We don't need soon. to rehash this, do we? No, we don't. Okay. All right. That's good. Uh, do it right. Yeah, just do it right. Get, get the right talent, and and yeah. obviously we have the right talent. Figure but no, it, it went great. Yeah. I was the only one I followed was TMO, and it, it worked splendidly. It refreshed. I got pictures. I got news from Doctor Bob. It was great. Yeah. yeah, Bob. Bob went out there for us. It was awesome. Uh, that's it. Well, actually, it's not quite it. I'd like to thank Michael Johnston. Hi, Michael. Uh, he is from the We Have Communicators podcast. They talk all about the iPhone, the iPad. Uh, it certainly now is an excellent time with the iPad third generation coming around uh, to listen to that show. So go check what? that out. Is that what it's called? I That's thought it was the new iPad. It's called the iPad third generation in I, Apple's I order that. system. So Understood. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so thank you, Michael, for converting the show to AAC. Everybody here appreciates that, I know. Uh, thank you to everyone for being premium subscribers. That's uh, that's a it's a very awesome thing that we get to be a part of. It's an of honor. Here. It is. Thank you it so is. much. Yeah. And thank you, Cashfly, for the bandwidth. It's uh, it's very much appreciated, and I know everyone appreciates that uh, that it's there. So that's uh, that's going to go ahead and do it. That's going to 
wrap it up. Uh, we don't know what day next week's show is coming. Uh, John's got a little bit of uh, jury duty to do, and I've got some traveling to do to South by Southwest. We'll see. But, I vote uh, guilty. That's right. Well, John, so while you're at jury duty, I want you to remember... Uh, Make sure you tell whoever's uh, on trial that there's one thing in life that's more important above everything else, and it's the best advice you can give anyone. Don't get caught. Made up.